0: We are in Mark chapter six and uh, I should thank uh, Mike for teeing things up in terms of uh, just some of the things I'm talking about this morning because we're talking about that indispensable element of ministry which is that component of compassion. Uh, We live in a world that in some respects uh, has compassion fatigue. Uh, We have been exposed to so much trauma and need and suffering and chaos and prejudice and selfishness and entitlement that it is very easy, even as Christians, for us to get what we might call from a sociological situation, uh, compassion fatigue, where we've just been so overwhelmed and exhausted with trying to meet the needs of people around us that at some point we just sort of get exhausted mentally and emotionally, and to some degree it can do a number of things to us. It can sort of suck the desire away that we actually get involved in other people's lives. We start shutting down and protecting ourselves. We start withdrawing from people because we're just trying to survive ourselves. And yet, one of the things that I will challenge you with based on the text that we're looking at this morning is that without compassion, there is no hope for real ministry. Without compassion, there's really no hope for genuine, authentic, biblically spirit filled ministry. And yet it's a challenge for us no matter what we're facing because Jesus faced it with his men and took an opportunity in the midst of all the ministry they were doing and the chaos and the overwhelming flood of people's needs to teach them about compassion. And he does it when he feeds the 5,000, which is a fascinating story, but I want to use it to help you see this picture of compassion that needs to be part of our life. And what I will propose to you is that when we come to the end of our own human ability to have compassion, whether it's part of our personality or our makeup, then that's the time that a spirit-filled, Christ-centered compassion takes us beyond what we think we can do. Starting in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, this comes immediately after the disciples come back. They are exhausted from this going out in twos and preparing people for Jesus as they proclaim the gospel, and they come back and Jesus sees that they need a break. So they try to go get some rest. They separate themselves from the crowds. They try to go to an isolated place by boat. And when they get there, they're flocked again and overwhelmed by people seeking them out. So the the idea of rest and getting a break doesn't happen. And so it says, when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the 12 basketfuls, of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now there is a host of things. We could spend weeks in this particular passage as far as I'm concerned, but I wanna focus primarily on this prevailing thread that I believe seeps its way through every part of this text, and that's the issue of compassion. If you were looking at a definition of it, it would simply be the idea to experience the affliction and concern for someone else. It it Really, empathy is a big part of this component of compassion where I can put myself in the shoes of someone else, especially when they're going through challenges and difficulties, and I can identify with what they're going through. One of the things that we'll discover about compassion is that it doesn't just wish it could do something for someone, it actually takes action. And one of the things that you and I probably will notice in our own life is that we are often plagued with the temptation or the conviction that man, I wish I could do something and often that's where it stops. Part of that is because if we're limited just to our experience and our personality and our character to fuel compassion, we're gonna get exhausted, we're gonna be fatigued. And often we wish we could do something but often many times we don't do anything. And I will again challenge you that at the heart of ministry is the issue of compassion. And I believe Jesus demonstrates it here. There's two other examples in the New Testament that I think are helpful in this. One is in Luke chapter 10, verse 33, which is the story of the Good Samaritan. It is that piece where Jesus tells this story of an individual who is victimized and all the religious and social leaders that pass and see this person have all kinds of reasons not to help. And then this one individual comes by and they see this person and it says he has compassion on him and he does something to help. He stops the donkey, he gets off, he goes over, he picks him up, he takes him to a hospital, he provides for him and his needs so that people will look after him. And he takes action to get involved in this man's life regardless of the inconvenience. The other statement is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, where Paul is talking to the Philippians and he says, I long for you as Christians with the compassion of Christ. And I want to propose to you that that there's a lot of people in this world that don't have much compassion. It can be circumstantial because of the hardness. It could be because they've tried before and it's failed. They've taken the risk to get involved in people's lives and they've been betrayed or they're... They felt like what they did didn't accomplish anything. It's very easy in our culture, even as Christians, to put up some really strong boundaries about what I'm gonna do to get involved in other people's lives. And yet the danger is that we suffocate the compassion of Christ in us to be involved in making a difference in the lives of people. And so as we walk through this journey, I wanna propose to you that compassion is absolutely indispensable for genuine and authentic ministry. Now I wanna give you about five, six principles about compassion. We're gonna kind of simplify it in some respects, but I want you to sort of get a sense of what compassion does in this particular text as Jesus not only demonstrates it himself, but teaches the concept of compassion to his disciples. When we were in Portland, Oregon, we got involved with a ministry called Medical Teams International. Ron Post is the individual who started that ministry. Uh, as I was uh, looking at their website this morning, I noticed uh, that their financial statements for 2021, they post, they, they live pretty transparent and wanna be really open and accountable to what they do. Uh, this last year, 2021, they had an operating budget of 61.5 million dollars. Uh, They had 12.5 million come in from the UN and international support, 11 million came in from individuals, there was 8.8 million from U.S. government funding, and they had 4 million from corporations, for example, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is one that supports them. But you'll never know how it started. The way it started, as he writes in his book called Created for Purpose, was in his living room. It was uh, back in the Times, and I just want to read you a segment of this. I want to try to include some snippets, but the first one, I want to set the stage how one couple watching TV and out of the compassion they had for hurting people took that compassion and turned it into a multi-million dollar ministry around the world. It was not long ago that I was returning from my business office to my comfortable Salem, uh, Oregon home. The trees were beginning to cast away their golden garments while we began uh, piling on ours. Rains are common all year round, but November seems to be a constant drizzle, and today was no exception. I sloshed into the house, eager to wind down. Later that evening, my wife and I watched the evening news together. Once again, the terrible scenes of the Cambodia refugees flashed before our eyes. Jean and I looked at each other, deeply moved by the pictures of suffering. We wished there was something we could do to help. That's where it starts for everybody, isn't it? We see a need, we see hurt and pain, we see suffering, and there's something that sometimes goes off in us as, man, I wish I could do something. At that point, there's a tipping point. This is sympathy, not necessarily compassion at this point. I think all of us have sympathy for the things that are going on around us. We probably catch ourselves saying all, a dozen times a week, boy I wish I could help that person. Or you see something and there's this sort of impulse to go and help but well, they've got a cell phone, they'll call somebody, they don't need me. We feel a need that somebody could use me help when they drop some things and yet we hesitate at times because we're not sure we're intruding in their space. We often feel the need to help people and we wish we could help, but we don't do it. What we come to this text and see very clearly is that when Jesus comes on shore and he sees these particular people, the very first statement that we have that tells us something about Jesus is that he had compassion for this group of people. There was something actually on an emotional sort of gut level response that Jesus had to these people that were around him. It was st- it's startling to think that after hours of ministry and dealing with needs and helping his, train his disciples and re- having them come back and report to him and kind of sort of debriefing with them about the things that are going on and not even having time to eat, trying to get his men away for a break and to rest and I'm sure Jesus probably needed it himself, and they literally got in a boat to really get isolated from people to suddenly getting to the spot where they thought they could breathe a little bit to simply being swarmed by another horde of people. It would have been very easy for me if I was one of the disciples to get on shore and go like, you've gotta be kidding me. I'm done with this. I, I, don't, I don't need more things to do. I certainly don't need to deal with the problems of these people. And so the the elements of this that I want to tell you is Jesus demonstrates for us, just by the very statement, that compassion is an indispensable component of genuine ministry. In fact, I'll challenge you that if you don't have compassion, you're probably not involved in ministry. Oh, you're gonna find people that will do things out of religious duty. They'll be guilted and pushed into doing things because that's what you're supposed to do if you're a good Christian, is you're supposed to serve, you're supposed to help in a program, you're supposed to do something, and we can provide biblical support for the reality that if God has gifted us, he brings us into the body to make a difference so that every part does its part. You'll run into some people, however, that do ministry uh, out of guilt. They do it because there's other people around them, often family, who will make them feel guilty because they're not doing enough. Sometimes Christians will do it to one another. They'll they'll go around and they'll use themselves as the template of what ministry is and how busy they should be, and those who look like they're sitting around, they'll try to guilt them. There is another batch of Christians that often do ministry to improve their self-worth. They don't, they don't do it out of compassion, they do it because it makes them feel like they're worth something and they're trying to bolster their own self-worth and, and that's the why they get involved. It gets really precarious if something goes badly because now, now I was gaining a sense of self-worth because I'm doing things but if someone criticizes me, I think I'm done, I don't need this. And so there's a lot of individuals who are Christians who don't get involved because they've had their self-worth stepped on by somebody because they were depending on the ministry, they were depending on service to make themselves feel worthwhile. But when we come to this particular situation, we know that Jesus doesn't need a self-image repair. He doesn't need to bolster his, who he is and what he thinks about himself. He looks at these crowds of people and he has compassion on them. And so the first element of this that I believe Jesus demonstrates so clearly is that compassion is an indispensable element of genuine ministry. It's not there to help build my legacy. It's not there to build my kingdom. It's not to impress the crowds with my abilities or talents. It's there to care for people. And to some degree, that's exactly what the second principle is, is that compassion sees people as sheep without a shepherd. In America, we're all about empowering and training people and mobilizing them to do a great work. We've kind of often skipped the idea of care and, and nurturing people. And, and the reason sometimes we get stuck there is because we feel like we care and we care and we care and we care. And it's years down the road, and we're still caring for the same problems. And so it's like, I don't know what the point of this is," I don't I don't know what I'm doing this for anymore. We're not getting anywhere. We're not getting past our stuff. And so it's easy to get compassion fatigue because we put ourselves out there and we want to help and make a difference but when we look at the journey, it's like I, I guess I'm the wrong person because I don't see what difference I'm making and we often detach ourselves from what difference Christ can make and we again put the responsibility on ourselves that I have to fix this person, I have to solve this person, it's my responsibility to get this person up doing and serving themselves. And so again, it's driven by performance and trying to prove my own sense of self-worth by accomplishing something in another person's life. Pastors can be really guilty of this. I mean, pastors want to, under the guise of reaching the world, want to build their own kingdoms. We've seen too many of those kingdoms explode because they're actually led by narcissistic dictators rather than humble servants. There's all kinds of problems fraught with this and I to suggest to you that the solution to many of these issues comes back to genuine, spirit-driven, Christ-centered compassion is the solution to genuine ministry. You yourself would know your own situation because some of you are just like flat-out exhausted being around people. It doesn't matter whether you're at school or work or your neighborhood, your own family, whatever. There's always something we're trying to fix. There's always something broken. And so at some point, we just get tired of it. It's like, I can't breathe anymore. I can't survive. I've got my own stuff I have to deal with and I can't even handle that. And I'm overwhelmed by the amount of needs around me. And so there's a time that many of us just give up because of Whatever label you want to put to it, compassion fatigue, exhaustion, I hate keep laboring and doing things and I don't seem to see any difference. I'm I'm not helping. We're not getting anywhere. And so as we move through this particular text, I want you to notice that the very next statement that it makes of Jesus is that when he says he has compassion because he saw these people as sheep without a shepherd. Certainly he'd been training his disciples in order to empower them to take the mantle of responsibility and ministry when Jesus was gonna ascend to heaven. So there's certainly a place to equip and train and mobilize people to the reality of what's going on, but when it comes to a lost world, one of the key ingredients that has to be there is compassion. And so compassion sees people as sheep without a shepherd, not people who can make me great in my ministry. One of the dangers we have in American Christianity is it's all gotta be bigger and better. Gotta find people who can make this successful. And it's so very easy to skip over the fact that people need to be cared for. They need a shepherd, they need individuals who will actually care about their heart and their condition and their character and their life regardless of the circumstances that they're facing. In the book, uh, Medical Teams International, when Ron Post talks about this, he makes a, a really interesting statement. As they continued to watch the TV, he saw scenes of aid workers picking up a body from a rice field. The body appeared to be a teenage girl who probably had starved to death. I glanced across the room and gazed at our teenage daughter, Sherry. She was sleeping sweetly on our couch. She was healthy and beautiful. Then the pain hit. That could be my sherry that they were picking up out of that rice field. How awful that a young girl with her girlish hopes and desires should be denied any chance to reach them. Her life had been cut short. Then I asked myself, why was I blessed to be born here and not there? I didn't choose to be born here, nor did the parents of that Cambodia teenager choose to be born there. And as they sat on that couch, they didn't see people who deserve what they got because they're not smart enough to handle the situation in their life. You ever felt that temptation that we criticize people because they've made bad choices and they get what they deserve because they haven't listened to our advice or they haven't paid attention to wisdom or they've been reckless in the way they've lived life? Then when you start unpeeling the circumstances of their life, you see more victims than you see bad and evil people. But when we lose our compassion driven by the, the person of Christ, it's easy to judge the circumstances of others. In fact, what we normally do is we question their character and their choices. When you, if we make the same mistakes, it's all circumstantial. It's not my fault at all. It's not my choices. It's the things around me that have driven me to where I'm at. And when we lose the compassion of Christ, it's very easy to become critical and judgmental. In fact, I would reverse it when we spend more time criticizing and complaining about other people and that their problems, it probably is a better indication that we don't have compassion than we're f- compassion fatigued. The danger in life is that it snuffs out the compassion, not of our own will and our own character, but the compassion of Christ. The statement in Matthew 23 gives us the paradigm. When lawlessness increases, love Diminishes. Same thing with compassion. We live in a world where lawlessness reigns, where there's prejudice, where there's disunity, where there's conflict, ethnic discrimination. There's all kinds of conflict going on around us and it's easy to look at that and go, one, I know I can't make any difference. And why should I bother? I'm so exhausted just from doing normal life that I don't have the bandwidth to step into those things. But one of the things that ought to be a great indicator to us that the compassion of Christ is what motivates and and fuels our heart is that we don't look at people as the problem, we look at them as sheep without a shepherd. Because compassion shapes our perspective of people in a way that, that doesn't happen if we're depending on our own wisdom and our own common sense. We joke around in ministry saying that ministry would be a piece of cake if it wasn't for the people. Now we say that very much tongue-in-cheek because we know how self-condemning it is in terms of if we actually believe that. But it's very easy to get into a situation where we're saying exactly the same thing. If it wasn't for this person, if it wasn't for this people, if it wasn't for this family, if it wasn't for this group, ministry would go great. And I don't know if you've ever caught yourself saying that, but. Hey, I've been in ministry too long. I've caught myself saying that way too many times. And it's easy to blame my circumstances and the people around me rather than looking at my own heart relationship with Christ. Because in spite of all the exhaustion, all the circumstances, Jesus steps on shore and he sees this horde of people and he has compassion. When you show up here on a Sunday morning do you come because, well, this is what we're supposed to do? Or do you come with some level of compassion? Do you come with the, the idea that maybe I can move alongside someone here not, and, and I can find out about their life and I can demonstrate the compassion of Christ? When you go to work tomorrow, do, do you go with this sense of wanting to show compassion because it's not something we can manufacture, it's just because of the Spirit of God and Christ in me so cares about lost people and their desperate situation, whether it's visible to us or not, that we care deeply about where they're at, and we want them to know the hope of the gospel. Compassion changes our perspective. Compassion, through the lens of Christ, sees people that need care and shepherding, and they need to be nurtured, not hammered to make my ministry successful. The very next element of this is that compassion compels individuals to get personally involved in people's lives. It's very easy to be sympathetic. It's just like Ron Post and his wife were looking at it and says, we wish we could do something to help. We've all said those words. Whether it's spurred on by the Spirit of God, who can tell? We don't want to think that's what happens because then if we don't do it, then we're disobeying the spirit of God. So we have all kinds of experiences where it's like, wow, I could wish I could help this person, but then immediately we kick into a gear that struggles with the excuses. Ron writes this in his book. As I pondered the, that thought, as he watched this, these workers pick up this dead girl from the fields, As I pondered the thought, a plan entered my mind as clearly as though someone had written it on paper and handed it to me. The plan was simple, but very precise. Recruit a medical team and lead it to help the Cambodians in two weeks' time. At first, I argued with myself. How could I ever persuade the medical community to go? Why in the world would they follow me? I have no medical background, I'm a businessman. What did I know about medical needs? Even if I could persuade medical personnel to go, how would I get them there in two weeks? What about supplies and the money if, it would take a, if we were to take a shift to get there? Fearing of sharing this with his wife, Jean, I balked at first. However, a forceful conviction to do something caused me to blurt out my plan to her. Jean looked at me and said, yes, I didn't want to say anything, but I just knew we had to help these people. And it's at that point that we suddenly get a picture of what true compassion is. We can spin our thoughts and have these debates in our mind all day long. I wish I could help, but how can I make it happen? I, I don't have the resources, I don't have the time, why would they follow me? I'm not worthy of being involved in this. And the list goes on and on and on about why we can't get involved. In fact, the disciples, when they came to Jesus, were kind of going like, hey, we got a concern here. These guys, these, this crowd has been here with us for a long time. And they didn't sound like they were complaining, in spite of the fact they could have. We need to send them out so they can get food for themselves into the villages. There's enough towns around here that they can find food and they'll get shelter and all that kind of stuff, but that just seemed to make sense. That's what I would have suggested. And Jesus turns around and says, I want you to feed them. And they came up with sort of the debate. It's like, well, hang on. Where where do we get the money? And how how long is it going to take for us to go and buy food out of the villages and come back here to feed this people? Jesus, that's ridiculous. And Jesus says, I want you to feed them. And they pulled the wrong Post thing. I can come up with 10 excuses, Jesus, why this isn't going to work. Well, why don't you go and find out how much food we already have? Yeah, this, I don't think this is going to do it, Jesus. And Jesus is trying to teach his men what compassion looks like. And, and they do exactly what often we do, is that we send them to someone else to meet needs. Now, clearly this is a specific situation, and there's no way we'd often have the capacity to meet every single need of every single person that walks through the door or calls us on the phone. But the danger for churches, and the danger for certain individuals is that we start creating policies and procedures that, that keep us from helping people. And we set those all up in our own heart, saying, well, you know, I've got a really busy week, and some even one thing comes along, and we sort of have that little prodding, maybe from the Spirit of God, or even from our own character, that says, hey, there's a need, you can do something about this, And it's very easy to go into debate mode. Hey, I'm busy, I got a meeting coming up. It's just not gonna work. And we've mastered our ability to squelch the compassion of Christ in our hearts. But Jesus understands the nature of compassion where he says, listen, don't send them to someone else. He says to his men standing there, I want you to get involved and I want you to feed them. don't know if you noticed, Jesus, like we don't know what we're doing and we don't have the resources. I don't really know what you want us to do. But compassion is not just feeling sympathy. It's not just empathizing in terms of wishing we could do something. The very nature of compassion compels us to move alongside and get involved. It's the greatest way to show the distinction between just feeling bad and feeling sorry and feeling, hoping and wishing you could do something and actually making a difference. The other principle here is that compassion accepts that God can work with the resources we have, not with the ones we don't have. See, Jesus said, well, go find out what you got. What, just, Tell me what you've got. And they come back, and we got, well, we got some fish and bread, but like, this isn't going to feed me, much less 5,000 people. And one of the things that Ron Post did in terms of starting Medical Teams International is that he didn't just sort of say, all right, we're going to do something, and all of a sudden God dropped a whole bunch of things and went, there's your ministry. In fact, if you read through further into this introduction, it tells us this. We needed more information, so they called their missionary friends in Thailand to see if they understood what was going on and if they could help them make the connection. They didn't know quite what to do, so they referenced them to their mission board that was in Bangkok, and they called them to try to figure out what was going on. How could we do this? And they agreed the medical need was off the charts in terms of getting help there, But so they verified the need and what was going on, but that didn't still get them... There. He then called Dan Clark, who was a news reporter in Eugene, Oregon, and asked him what to do, and he's going like, okay, we got all kinds of nutcases calling us and telling us about this story and that story and that we ought to run it. There's something about Ron that was different, and he said, well listen, I don't know what we can do, but if you like run this thing, we'll help cover it. He then called Mike Donahue, who was one of the main reporters at Coin TV in Portland, Oregon and talked to him about it. He was a Christian man who was in the news, and uh, he spoke at different things and that kind of stuff, and he lended his support, but that still didn't get things done. Then he called Senator Mark Hatfield and asked about them and what kind of connections and political things that they had to get through in order to get medical help over there. They make some more connections, and they received a call from Dr. Stanley Munaham, who was the president of World Vision, and they simply said, listen, can you get a medical team together because we don't have that in our venue, and Ron Post just blurted out, yeah, I can get them, when he didn't have anybody. So World Vision said, all right, we're, we're gonna send a representative of ours to you this next week, we wanna hear your plan. The first medical doctor that Ron Post actually recruited was at a television interview where he was talking about it and he was saying, we're looking for medical personnel that will go with us in the next week or so, and we need your help. And one of the people that was sitting in the audience said, well, you know, that'd be great to do. He goes, what, do you mean you'd really do that? Are you a doctor? He says, yeah, I'm medical, would you go? Yep, you're my first recruit. So the idea of compassion that accepts that God will use what we have, not what we don't have, doesn't mean we just sit around and hopefully we rub the magic genie and God plops everything down. There was a lot of hard work that went into this. But it was compelled by the compassion of Christ for people that wasn't there. So he was willing to do whatever it took to find the resources that God would ultimately supply that just came, in a sense, out of nowhere, but they had to step out and start asking and saying, listen, we wanna make a difference here, can you help us? because it's rarely that any of us can solve issues and respond to needs by ourselves. It becomes very clear in the text. Jesus didn't tell just Peter to do it. He told all the disciples to do it, but they weren't gonna do it on their own resources and their own ingenuity. Jesus says, listen, I, I can provide for you what you need. And this is a miraculous event, but I think Medical Teams International sounds like a pretty miraculous event, too. But that's because God gradually started throwing pieces into that equation as they stepped out and they pursued the compassion that God had given to them. They didn't just say, well, this is great, phone up the pastor and say, hey, listen, would you do this? Ron wasn't about sending other people. He was there, I want to get a team and I'm going. But so often what we do is, well, we can't do that because we don't have the money. Well, we can't do that because I don't have the time. I can't help this person because my schedule is really full this week. I, and whatever other dozen or so excuses that we often come up with is that compassion often gets crucified. Because we find more excuses not to do it than we do reasons to follow the compassion of the Spirit of God prodding us to help others. And so quite honestly, the last principle is a bit redundant, but compassion, biblical, spirit-driven compassion relies on the power of Christ to impact those around us, it's not about me gaining my self-worth by helping. It's not about me impressing people because I'm doing something nice. It's not about me building my kingdom. In fact, Ron didn't even think he was building a ministry. He just said, I wanna go and help. And God took those meager pieces of steps of faith and he built it into a multi-million dollar medical care that reaches all around the world. He didn't know what he was doing, he felt like he was overwhelmed, he wasn't sufficient for the task, he didn't think anyone would follow him, he just followed the compassion because it was so convicting and so compelling that he could not do it on his own. We can't manufacture compassion. We may have some wired into us because we're created in the image of God, but that has its limits in some respect because we're fallen human beings. There's some people that seem to have a lot of compassion just because that's their nature, and there's other people who are like as cold as a stone. They don't actually seem like they care about anybody but themselves. We live in a culture that promotes individualism and entitlement and selfishness. So this often gets really confusing because you've got the people who have this entitlement complex thinking everybody should be compassionate to them, and if they're not, then they're the ones that without the compassion while they stand around and criticize and complain that nobody else is showing compassion because they're not showing it to them. In our culture, it gets really confusing who's supposed to be showing compassion. Who's entitled to it? It's not the way biblical compassion works. And when we've exhausted our resources, then what it comes down to is I've gotta to learn to rely on Christ. I can't use my limited resources as an excuse not to do something because true, biblical, spirit-driven, Christ-centered compassion has this radical sense of trust in the Father that says if, you want, if you're compelling me by compassion to care for somebody, this looks ridiculously hopeless, but I'm gonna step this direction anyway. And so compassion has this unswerving confidence in this profound reality in their minds that unless God steps in, this is gonna fail. But I get it. Some of you are so utterly exhausted from the demands of life and the lack of funds, the conflicts with your kids, the chaos at work, the frustration of not reaching your goals or your dreams, that my business isn't going the way I thought it would, my teenage kids go on AWOL and all I do is spend my time crying over a kid who seems in absolute rebellion against me. It's very easy for us not just to get compassion fatigue, but it's really hard to feel the compassion of Christ at all because I'm overwhelmed and I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I'm worn out and I'm not making a difference and I feel worthless and I'm not making a difference. And the reality is, when Jesus stepped onto that shore and faced all those people, they became all the 5,000 reasons why they shouldn't care. They were exhausted, they were tired, they hadn't eaten, they needed rest, they needed to rejuvenate. And I'll tell you, it's only the compassion of Christ that drove this whole next ministry to feed 5,000 people. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how you're feeling about life. But I want to come back and suggest to you that without the compassion of Christ, that genuine, authentic, life-changing ministry is virtually impossible. We can do it out of guilt We can do it out of religious obligation. We can do it out of pressure. We can do it to try to build our own self-worth. But when we're at the end of our rope, just like the disciples were, that's when the compassion of Christ steps in and he can open up opportunities to do things that go way beyond the resources and my abilities and my sufficiency where we see the power of Christ touching life after life after life. I think for some of us, we might need to get before the Lord and simply go, yeah, God, I'm so worn out, I just don't care. I'm in total survival mode, and I'm trying to just make it from one end of the week to the other, and if I'm really being honest, I really don't care. There's some people maybe sitting here that are so empathetic with everybody else, they're drowning in everybody else's problems. And they're getting sucked down the windpipe of trying to rescue people and fix them rather than depending on the person and the power of Christ to feed those around them and for him to solve their needs. We, we develop a hero complex because for my own sense of significance and self worth, I have to make the difference. It's a tough lot, but I want to encourage you to consider the fact that without the compassion of Christ, it is virtually impossible to do genuine, meaningful, life-changing, eternal ministry, because it really is up to Christ. All he wants us to do is be compelled by the compassion that he has, not only for us, but through us. Where are you at? It's okay to be honest with God. Maybe you need to get away like the disciples were trying to do and what Jesus was trying to do and say, God, I'm realizing I'm torched. I have compassion fatigue, I don't want to get involved, I'm not making commitments. But I bet you if I walked through this congregation, I could hear story after story of people who said, I didn't know what I was doing, but I stepped out to help this one person. And I saw God do incredible things in someone that I thought was actually hopeless. Father, we see by the life of Jesus not just a miracle that fed 5,000 people, but we saw in many ways the perfect model of compassion that really demonstrated to us the power of what true compassion can do that Jesus told his disciples that if we really understood his compassion, that he wanted them to be directly involved in moving alongside the lives of people. They didn't use their lack of training or their insufficient resources to not get involved, but they simply allowed the compassion of Christ to push them into the lives of people so that they might see Christ make a profound difference in their lives. Father, it would be one of the most exciting things in the world that every time we came here on Sunday morning we were talking about how your compassion put us in scenarios where we felt totally overwhelmed and yet we saw you do profound things in the life of people around us. Simply because we're allowing your compassion to move us to get involved. Father, help us to step into your throne room of grace to allow you to fill us up, to allow it to be your compassion working through us, not just our own compassion that we divvy out in terms of our own schedule and our own circumstances. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Christ's strong name, amen.